Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you might be. I am Nicole BC, and you, you have know everything. everything. I've got a shitting grin on my face because we're going to talk about a pretty popular topic, although I don't know how many people are really bringing this out in terms of like making it a teachable moment. So hello, good afternoon, good evening, good morning. I may have already said that. Uh, we've all experienced being fucked over and we've all probably fucked somebody over. So we're going to talk about that in terms of your working relationships with people. Now, I'm assuming you're watching this because you a boss, you want to be a boss, or you might be having some problems with your boss. You might have stumbled onto this using ye old algorithm <laughs> and want to understand like what's really going on here. So I'm going to share with you what it's like to scale and grow your company, to literally depend on others for your own livelihood, for your own success, and to be able to feed yourself, right? To be able to take care of your responsibilities and ultimately theirs as well. Like as you start to employ people, pay people, hire people out, contract people, they depend on you as well. So it gets, it gets pretty stressful when we start to externalize so much of the abilities that we have in terms of leadership and hope <laughs> and delegation. So many business owners, founders, CEOs, visionaries, creatives, leaders that I talk to, trailblazers, ideators, individuals that have these amazing concepts, but they're terrified to get out the gate or they're terrified to take that next step because they've been fucked over, because they relied on somebody and that person let them down. The pain and the fear of that experience, that learned lesson, that wisdom that they now carry heavily around with them keeps them from, from being able to expand. And that's real. I am not going to dissuade that. But, but there are some things you've probably not considered in terms of the exchange and fucking <laughs> over in work not the other one. Get your mind out of the gutter, please. So we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening, especially in a professional setting when you feel like you're stressing out about, or you're experiencing getting fucked over. What's really happening and why this might not actually be a problem at all. And as per usual, a few steps you can think about integrating. Again, it's never for me to tell you what to do. I'm just going to plant a few seeds here. You, you water what you feel like you want to grow, right? Like you know everything. That's the title of this podcast because you ultimately have the knowledge and I just act as a fantastic sounding board. I love sharing ideas based on experience. I get to talk to amazing people all day long, every day. Oftentimes those people are talking to me because they don't get that opportunity. They are leading people. People are relying on them. They are playing this character of leader. And so for them to go to some of these people with these issues or these problems or these challenges and really workshop them doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, it's a little too personal, right? So with that, let's talk about why people fuck up. <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the day, no one wakes up in the morning and goes, I think... I think I'm going to disappoint some people. I think I'm going to let some people down. I'm going to hurt some feelings. And ultimately, I'm going to fuck everybody over. Most people wake up in the morning, wait for it, and they do their best. Now, you know that sometimes your best is just getting out of bed that day, right? Like, 
our best can even be wavering. And I can already hear some of you like hustle hard to grind culture, like, I don't know, old school ways of like capitalist, patriarchal, like colonialist thinking. Cool. Your best looks the same all the time. And that's not going to have any consequences ever. You're good and probably not going to keep watching. Bye. So for the rest of us mere mortals, we understand like there is an ebb and flow, right? Our energy is going to show up in, in abundance some days and other days, like we're just eking by. And in fact, that's why we need support. I always say your business should support you even on your worst day. This crucial detail that I think a lot of people miss in terms of getting fucked over is probably going to flip the script for you. So let's talk about why employees betray their employers and how to avoid this toxic but tragic reality. Because perhaps the most important part of this video is that like anyone in any workplace can relate to what can feel like an ethical conflict, a personal vendetta, even competition. And none of those things should get in the way of our success. My success as a leader or business owner, your success as an individual or vice versa, right? So you can build a business that builds upon trust, transparency, commitment, consistency, follow through with just a few simple steps. Before I go on, you know I'm going to continually steer back towards values. Everything I just listed is a value. They might not be values of yours. So perhaps you can start to ponder what is most important to you. Consistency, follow through, trust, transparency, transparency especially. Not every business wants everything to be out in the open and on the table. Again, that's totally fine. It's never for me to tell you how you should run your business or what kind of a business you might want to show up in. What I am saying is that getting fucked over has a lot to do with trust. Transparency, consistency, follow through, that those tend to be components of trust. Trust is a value. So I implore you to explore what trust looks like for you, the process of building trust, how you build trust, and then what happens when that trust is broken? It's interesting because it can take a long time to build trust, especially if you've been fucked over, especially if you've been hurt or betrayed or lied to. And you, I, I would never tell you that those experiences weren't real. However, there might be some stories, there might be some reframes that will allow you to move forward and actually find and build trust again. So assuming that's what you're seeking, we're going to get into it. The other thing that um, I just want to call attention to, because consistency trust, like as an example, I want to work with the same people for years. I've witnessed really, really, really successful businesses scale, sometimes slowly, sometimes incredibly quickly. But the ones that are around in 10, 20, 30 years, they tend to have a pretty consistent team. So for my success model, I have a consistent team. I'm willing to work with people, to train them up, to invest in them, and to stay very tuned into their goals and aspirations in order to build that relationship. And I have 100% had people call me and essentially stop working on the day. So I could have perceived that as being fucked over, but I chose to look at it in a different way. One of the problems with this fear is it is a massive energy leak. And ultimately what we start to do is look for people or look for behaviors, characteristics, even like body language or actions that, that reinforce this fear, I'm about to get fucked over. It is a massive energy leak. It will keep you from leading, building, scaling, growing your business. It will disable you from finding 
the support and the resources that you need in order to achieve those goals, right? Like it's what I talk about a lot, that level one, level two energy, which is essentially fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And we start to just like zone in on this one acute pain point, AKA getting fucked over. And, and like, we've got these blinders on and we're essentially playing not to lose. That is very different than playing to win. So if you think about it, I was going to get into an example, but I think I'll get into that example in a minute, just in terms of like high performers and hiring the best in your organization. That person has a lot of competitive opportunities. So how do you keep them? When someone leaves your organization, especially after you've invested in them, trained them up, given them opportunities, challenged them to grow, it does feel like the ultimate betrayal. I'm also not taking that away from you. It is about honoring what has happened and also understanding this doesn't have to happen this way again. So where is the opportunity for me to make some adjustments and evolve and adapt knowing people are going to do their best? And what happens if their best is in conflict with my best? That's a really, really interesting paradigm and paradox to explore. So the goal here is that you can rely on others. You can work with them. You can negotiate through conflict, disagreements, mutually exclusive needs, right? You can recognize you have a value going on here. I have a value going on here. They're both important, but there may not be space for them in this moment. I always use the example of family and productivity, right? Like I might be incredibly deadline oriented. I might not have the same value around family or personal time that you do. And it's Friday night and we've got a client expecting the presentation to be done. I might not even think about staying late. You might not even think about completing the presentation on time, right? And we have a conflict without really even bringing in any awareness to it. And then there's going to be judgment around it. There are ways to work through that. I think a really interesting, and this is an extreme story. So uh, hopefully you haven't experienced this, but this comes from a peer of mine who owns several restaurants and his bar manager was, let's say, partying with the employees. Now that for all intents and purposes seems like a problem, right? But if you've worked in hospitality, worked in the bar industry, you know that like there's a little bit of uh, schmoozing that can happen behind the scenes, right? So word got up to management, to leadership, that this particular bar manager was having a little too much fun with some employees on, on the job. And it was brought to his attention, this is absolutely inexcusable behavior. You get one warning and you're gone. And this behavior continued, was reported up. The bar manager was immediately fired. And when I was talking with my friend about this, he was explaining to me, like, it's, it's really unfortunate because he was fantastic and he's worked with us for a while. But the most unfortunate part is, is that he didn't perceive of this as being a problem. He got feedback and it was immediately corrected, I think within the same week. And ultimately he was like, this would, this is a, this is a no tolerance offense, but there are legal ways of going about letting somebody go in the sense that everybody deserves a warning. So they followed protocol. They followed the protocol that had been explained to every single employee multiple times. And this person got a warning. And then within 24 hours, I think they were let go. The interesting part about this is the other employees brought this attention. Now, in some organizations, that could be considered as dobbing somebody out, tattling on somebody, right? Like in some organizations, reporting up, reporting problems up is not rewarded. It is punished. I experienced a very similar situation, albeit in a corporate setting, and I was fired for that because I was considered 
a tattletale, someone that couldn't be trusted when ultimately all I was trying to do was get somebody the help that I thought they needed. I wasn't actually <laughs> trying to um, get them in trouble. And so this is exactly what I'm talking about when I say that different behaviors will get interpreted by the, by the perceiver to reinforce their own narrative. So the owners in that situation that I shared with you in terms of the restaurant, they didn't feel bad. There wasn't any guilt. They followed protocol. It got taken care of very quickly. And there wasn't any sunk cost cognitive bias that was essentially an energy leak. It was just a bing, bang, boom. I don't even know, and I'm speaking out of school here, but I don't think there was even a team meeting about this. It was just a series of emails. Things got captured in writing. And it was just like, wow, what a bummer that he couldn't follow protocol. I, yeah, this is a no-brainer. We got to make this decision. The results of that is there was so much trust built out in the team. The team felt safe, especially the employees that were getting schmoozed upon. And they recognized that if we speak up, we are heard. Also, there was follow through with this particular employee in terms of let's get them the help that they need and let's make sure that they're provided with some resources to allow them to make different choices if they so choose. Now, obviously, they can't work in this particular group anymore, but like this entire drama took about a week from start to finish and they had somebody hired and training within the next week because they had built out the support and the systems and the resources in order to address the churn that happens in organizations. And so that's another thing that I wanted to address. Look, I love people working with me for 10 years. That's not every business. And that's certainly not every industry. You might work in a more seasonal business. You might work in hospitality. You might work in different industries that it is expected people are going to turn over. Most of the time and most of the people that I speak with, they, they have a lot of tension and expectation around somebody fucking them over simply because a person is going to be continually exploring the best opportunities for themselves, especially if they're early on in their career. So I think there are ways to actually build out certain job roles and certain positions to appreciate that. The other thing to consider is that people only do their worst when they feel like they have to. No one's going to leave a fantastic job. And that's not putting any blame on the job or the business owner. I've told this story a lot, but in my, in my accounting firm, we are a very adaptable, fractional-based service organization. And what we're doing in these much larger corporate businesses is approaching their reporting in a very different way. The whole point is to give transparency to board, to leadership much quicker than it's been done in the past and to really give people the details and data that they need to make impactful decisions because business is moving so quickly these days, right? Now that demands a slightly different way of approaching some of the challenges that senior level accounting and controllers have been examining throughout their careers. We went remote, fully remote in COVID during 2020, right? I mean, duh. Also, I have an extreme bias for that flexibility, no commute, you know, work from anywhere, obviously. And we had a couple senior staff that just simply were not there to be adaptive. Like they're accountants, they are linear thinkers. You give them a challenge and they step it out until it has been solved, right? So I had an individual, I don't want to say they were underperforming, but it was taking them a lot longer to get everything done. And then that meant they were relying on the team and no one was speaking up about this. 
that's interesting to me. When your team doesn't feel like they can bring challenges and potential ideas, creative approaches, experiments in order to overcome that challenge to the table, something's going on there. If, and there's a huge difference between identifying challenges and working creatively to overcome them and complaining and gossiping. So what was happening is there was a lot of internal gossip and complaining going on, but that wasn't being brought to my attention since it, there was a few layers in between me and these people. Long story short, I ended up firing this individual. I waited probably four or five months in order to do that because of the holidays, because of the, the hiring freezes going on at most organizations. I just didn't want to put somebody out in the middle of, of everything that was happening circa fall 2020, right? This individual was able to find a better job, a higher paying job, a job that truly celebrated their skill set and their experience, and the team regained confidence. One bad apple truly can spoil the bunch. And I didn't realize how much the team was covering for this individual, how much this individual was impacting the team until they left. And believe me, they were not stoked to get a, to get a termination letter. And they had been on a performance improvement plan. Like we had been doing all of the homework in advance, but within weeks they were thrilled. And their next employer actually wrote me a letter to thank me for releasing such a solid resource. And I was like, that just proved that this person might not be the best opportunity, the best resource for the opportunity I have created, but they absolutely deserve the opportunity to be the best resource in someone else's position. So resentment, fear, doubt will absolutely affect your decision-making. Again, you're zoning in on, I just don't want to lose this person. If you're worried about losing this person, they might not be the right person. What is it about them that's making you think this, or more importantly, what's the story you're telling yourself? Most leaders, founders, CEOs, hiring managers, reporting managers, people <laughs> have been burned. And so then they wait to hire. In doing so, they burn out, they burn out their teams, they limit their organizational capacity. And at the end of the day, this fear, this doubt, this uncertainty negatively impacts everything. The sunk cost, the cognitive bias of this opportunity cost, people-pleasing, not being willing to have that confrontational conversation. We don't want to be that boss, right? Like that's where we started with this. Like no one wants to be like the narky, micromanagey, critical, fear-based, forced-based boss. But why does bringing an opportunity to improve make you think that you're going to be any of those things? There are ways that you can structure the hiring and firing process, but any relationship so that there are check-ins, you are making sure this is still a mutually beneficial exchange. They deserve the opportunity to get what they want just as much as you do. So how do you frame that relationship? I think at the beginning, you know, a 30, 60, 90, I certainly didn't come up with this concept, but I rarely see it executed successfully in organization. Contract to hire, obviously not every role allows for that, but if you feel a lot of trepidation in terms of starting new relationships, building new relationships, you're the one with trust issues not them. <laughs> so you need to create a, a way of approaching and building that trust so that you feel safe in engaging in new relationships. Because to grow and scale, you need to engage in new relationships, right? 
So a 306090, whether that's an internal sort of check-in process for you or a formalized, let's give this a go. This is what I expect at 30 days. This is what I expect at 60 days. This is what I expect at 90 days. And more important than expectations, concrete results. So many people that I work with and have an idea, let's say you're hiring a salesperson. You're like, well, I want sales <laughs> in 30 days. I mean, maybe Do you, it, it really, you know, it really depends on like the, the um, price point at which you're selling. But let's say you're selling hundred thousand dollar service packages. 30 days might not be realistic. And in fact, in 30 days, you might just really want this person to be a good cultural fit, to be using the lingo within your organization, to understand your product suite, right? If you're selling $30 widgets, completely different, but then you should have some specific metrics. You should have been able to sell $130 widgets in 30 days. You should have X amount of leads in the pipeline or Y amount of follow-ups on the spreadsheet, right? Or in the system. So being incredibly specific and letting people know at 30 days, if we're not here, we have a problem. At 60 days, if we're not here, we have a problem. And that problem might be, we no longer work with each other. And so we're, we are both stepping into this knowing if this isn't a match, no problem. We're not going to play the game anymore. No harm, no foul, right? So I do believe regular check-ins are the best way of approaching this. Tune into that. That's as someone who hates meetings and would probably sit in a cave and do my work and not talk to anybody ever when we're engaging in new relationships and, and tune into what feels best and most supportive for both of you. But it might be daily, 15 minutes. It might be weekly, 45 minutes. It might be by so on and so forth. It's probably going to start off heavier and then get lighter as that trust builds, right? Last. And, and I think this is I think this is an interesting one and I've only really started playing with this more recently and, and seeing it implemented in the organizations that I get to spy on, but get a 360 feedback loop going. So it's not just about you and this individual. How are they engaging with your team? How are they engaging in your industry? How are they engaging with your vendors? So if you are a solopreneur, a team of the magical one, are you partnering? And I use that partnership term very specifically because any stakeholder in your business, any person that you work with is a partner in your business, even in your personal relationships. Depending on the size of your community or industry, the people that you partner with and choose to work with will reflect on you. So are you working with a vendor that other organizations have had good experiences with? It, you can do so much risk mitigation by making a few calls. You also build relationship and trust and your reputation in the industry. So it's a real win-win. Leading and managing and building isn't just moving people up the ladder. It's learning how to do this research, right? It's learning how to collate and report the data so that everyone, most importantly yourself, can improve. Because once you figure this process out, you can rinse wash, repeat. You can literally create a system so you don't even have to be the one doing it anymore. So, you know, I always talk about the intention behind the action because if you're approaching a, an employee or even an employer and you're like, um, so I don't know, uh, if this, if this new process is really going to work. Um, I mean, I guess I'll try it. <laughs> like ugh. if you approach them, like, willing to try interesting experiment. Let's do it. It's just a completely different <laughs> interpretation of the exact same action. Right. And that was obviously an extreme example, but so often, and, and I do this in myself as well, but we'll notice a problem and we'll bring it to our person 
who's responsible for that and be like, I'm really sorry if you've got a few minutes. Uh, I just need to check with you. Um, when the uh, podcast was uploaded, there there wasn't any audio. I um I, I mean I'm sure bleh, right. Or it's like yeah, there was an audio. Can you check on it? I'm not blaming. I'm not suspecting. <laughs> like it's just like there was a glitch in the matrix. What do we do about it? And then how do we avoid this moving forward? Right? Like it can be a really simple, clean, energetic exchange, but you got to check in with yourself first. Are you telling yourself a story? They purposefully, they're trying to undermine me. They want my podcast to fail. They don't like me. They're slap like whatever the story is, right? Like maybe, or maybe just somewhere in between uh, exporting and uploading and publishing like a file dropped out. I like to think of any of these issues that we experience, especially when we feel doubt or concern or worry in a relationship as an opportunity to improve. I did a podcast on this before. I'll link it um, at the end, but the hard conversations are literally where we build trust. I used to say like, I don't, I don't know how close of a relationship we have, how much I can trust you until we've actually had a disagreement. And so when you can approach somebody with like, yo, this feels a little like you're here and I'm here. Am I reading that correctly? Are you feeling that? Uh, I had someone in my organization recently who, when they were on point, when they were showing up, like they were fire, but that was very hit or miss. And as our relationship expanded only a few months into it, I had to say to them, look, like, I'm not sure what's going on here. When you show up, when I can feel you being here, it's amazing. You're 110%, but that's only happening like 70% of the time. Like, I don't know that we've had a whole week where something hasn't happened and you've had to cut out early or shown up a little bit late or taken a day, which I totally get this. This is, uh, you know, the way that I like to work with my people is not necessarily like you're reporting to me hour by hour. I'm much more concerned with the results of the end project. But I said, like, I don't, you know, I find myself wondering what you're doing with your time. I find myself wondering if I need you to be clocking in and out and clocking your, your specific activities per hour. I don't like leading like that. So what's going on? And they said, you're right. I am experiencing some, some significant personal issues in my life. And that conversation, you know, went on, but the point being like, it gave us this real opportunity to bring some transparency into the situation without judgment, without shame, without fear. It was just like, yo, I'm noticing a thing going on here someone else that I work with noticed a similar thing. It was, it was a specific incident, but in their minds, the story they told themselves was, well, if this happened once, this is happening all of the time. And if they're showing up like this at all, it could be anytime I'm not paying attention. And so this person is probably on their way out, so on and so forth. Right. It turns out that person had actually reported to their hiring manager about some of their scheduling issues. And what had happened was that someone had gotten in a car accident. They were having to be in and out of the hospital. Upon discovering that, the individual who was suspecting and catastrophizing and just assuming they were going to get fucked over was like, oh my gosh, proof, proof, case in point. I don't need to, to stress about this on the level that I was. And in fact, it was exhausting. It was distracting. And it took me away from really being able to support this team member and being the boss that I want to be, let alone everything else that's going on in the business. So check yourself before you wreck yourself. How much time do you spend worrying about if someone's going to leave? What if they should leave? Or even better, what if you should let them go? because they're not succeeding. In the 
other podcast I'll link um, to, we talk about like right butt, right seat. And that's kind of what I was referring to in my own example with this individual that despite they were incredibly skilled and they had the values, they were not able to succeed in the position that they were in. Now I can move them in the organization. I can find a role that might potentially be better suited for them, or I can create the opportunity for them to find something new. Because if loyalty is a value that you hire for, that person's going to hang on. (laughs) They're going to white knuckle this role regardless. And you'll start to notice like not just performance issues, but most likely emotional, mental health, um, engagement issues, because this person, no one wants to show up and do a bad job. For certain roles, for certain positions, like always be hiring. You hear that. It'll take you at least five cycles to, to understand how to hire and who to hire for a particular role, a particular role. Now, depending on the size of your organization, you might have 30 people, you might have 300 people, you might have 3,000 people. Holy, that, I love it when I do that. I love it when I silently swear. I I tend to do that once in every episode, whereas I've just been saying fuck like a hundred times in every episode. So you're welcome for that. But like five hiring cycles for 3,000 employees, but that's, that's why we have HR. So what's the story you're telling yourself? Do your employees all hate you? Are they all plotting against you? Is a coup coming on? Uh, Maybe it's all your fault because you don't know how to lead properly and you have so many, like they can smell your fear. Maybe they don't care about your business or they're not as committed as you. Like, I mean, if any of those things are even remotely true, why haven't you brought that up yet? Why haven't you sat down with this individual or this team or wherever this fear is coming from and said, what's up here? Where this fear is coming from is the crux of that little rant, because that fear is probably coming from a past experience, from a story you're telling yourself, and you're avoiding something, and in doing so, essentially feeding this monster. An employee and employer relationship can be beautiful. When you hire for values, you at least understand there's going to be an alignment there. I don't know that all values can be taught. I'm pretty sure like on some level they probably can be, or as we evolve, our values absolutely change. Family doesn't show up as a value typically until you have your own children, at least on the level where you're going to, you're going to prioritize that over work, right? That's fair enough. But that was also probably something intrinsic in that individual. And so learning how to ask the questions that will really demonstrate, does this person care about the same things that I do? When you invest a little in your people, you understand this sort of risk mitigation in terms of building this trust. So only give so much that you won't feel resentment if they decide to leave, if they're the not the right fit, if something changes. You know, it does go both ways. I work with a lot of people that have these really interesting business structures that upon contraction or seasonally, they don't continue working with the same people. But everybody knows that when we get busy, we have, you know, 50 to 60, we, we double our, our employee size. And when we slow down, we shrink. That's just our industry. That's how we work. And actually in like large corporate accounting, that is a pretty realistic, we know there's feast or famine times. And in the feast times, they need to bring on a lot of fractional support in order to get the reporting done. And in the famine times, they shrink that right down. It's not personal. It's not because you're not doing a good job. It is literally predictable. 
when you have that transparency and that's how you build that trust. So getting clear on the goals, getting clear on the metrics. And I mean, crystal clear, like, what does this actually look like? Not like, I hope that, um, commitment and, uh, consistency are important to you. Commitment means you show up for every meeting five minutes early with everything open, ready to go. That, that show that to me demonstrates you're in it to win it. Like you are prepared, you're ready. You have things to say. We're not just going through our, our week's to-do list. We're looking forward and making sure that if there's any obstacles in our way, we're bringing them to the team so that we can all workshop them, get them out of the way and keep on keeping on. So you get to determine what that means to you and ask yourself, why do I shy away from confrontation? What am I afraid of there? They won't like me. I won't get my point across. They'll leave. If you're having a transparent, clear, and I mean clear like energetically, conversation with people, why would they leave if this just simply wasn't the right situation? It sounds hard because you're worried about the potential outcomes. So look at those outcomes, play them all the way through. Why does someone telling you what their expectations are, especially, you know, when we're working with like younger generations or traditionally uh, stereotyped to be very impactful, they want flexibility, you know, money isn't as important as freedom or knowing that they're working for like an ethically responsible business. That's fantastic. If you provide those expectations, if you meet those expectations for somebody up to a certain point, you're going to get that exchange. You're going to get a really great exchange. I also think if you're hiring entry-level positions, paying somebody less than $70,000 a year, they're, of course they're going to job hop because that, that's what that job is for. Like It's entry-level so they can gain experience and either move up in your organization or move laterally. That's what they should be doing. That's not fucking you over. If you're telling yourself that, why? What's the story? How can you back yourself better next time? How can you create a structure that supports you so that you're not over-investing, you're not martyring yourself for people that ultimately are on a completely different path. They're looking to grow and expand in a, in a different direction, right? When you have a solid team, but you're underperforming, you might just need to have a play with it. So check out the Quantum Business Book Club episode about a book called Traction, Gina Wickman. It was the foundation for the entrepreneurial operating system. And it lets you do it without having to pay the money for all the consultants. <laughs> it gives you everything you need in that book. Uh, so there's that. But if you're just getting started, if you have yet to build the dream or even hire the team, check out an oldie but goodie design your dream team. Thank you so much for being here. I wouldn't do this without you. I open, like, I would love to get any comments, questions, likes, subscriptions, shares. <sighs> I'm not sure if you noticed, I tried to prepare for this one. It's a little different than usual. So, um, if you noticed any differences, I'd love to hear your feedback below. Please, please share with me your stories, your challenges with scaling, with building the dream team. I would love to continue to build on this conversation. Again, these are always pulled from existing real-time, real-life conversations that I'm having with people just like you who are attempting to build relationship, expand their success, and make an impact in this world. So again, thank you for being here. I love you.